A warm welcome to the Creative Places and Faces podcast, the podcast that explores places that help to inspire creativity. Some are local, some even formative, and others are far away and sometimes rather exotic. I'm Mike Payne, one of the Creative Places and Faces team. Let me introduce you to your host, Jackie DeBurka. Jackie is originally from Dublin, Ireland, but has spent a lot of time abroad, especially in Spain. She is the author of Salvador Dali at Home, creator of Travel Inspires, and the number one travel and tourism influencer, Q2 2020, according to Global Data. Over to you, Jackie. Today's guest is Emma Thorpe. Emma makes stunning silver jewellery inspired by the outstanding natural beauty of the magnificent Causeway Coast of Northern Ireland. Other important influences are Emma's late grandmother Rose, her 10-year career in archaeology and her Belfast roots. Thank you so much for joining us today, Emma. Thanks for asking me. You're very welcome. Now, so far in this first series of Creative Places and Faces, your story is actually unique, Emma, insofar as you've been lucky enough to grow up in Port Stewart, uh, only 10 minutes away. You said as a child you were only 10 minutes away from the Strand, which is a gorgeous beach that has been voted, uh, not any kind of a surprise, voted as one of the most beautiful 40 beaches in Britain. And that's where you live. You're living there now with your own children today. For our audience, Emma, who haven't been to your neck of the woods, to that gorgeous area, can you describe Port Stewart and what it was like to grow up there? Um, well, Port Stewart, uh, for anyone who hasn't been here, um, well, whenever I was growing up, it was very small. Um, we would have lived, I suppose, at, at that stage in what would have been one of the last streets of houses um, on the edge of the town. Uh, my parents still live there. It's now more or less in the middle of the town um, because the place has expanded so much. But um, growing up in Port Stewart, it was it was quite quiet. Um, you know, it there wasn't very a lot of people would have said there wasn't very much to do here for young people. But I mean, as kids, I I don't ever really remember being bored living here because you were always outside playing. Um, mm-hmm. You had where we were. You know, we had obviously we were ten minutes from the beach, so there was always the opportunity to go down there. Um, there is also a fantastic walk along the back of the sand dunes um, on Port Stewart Sand along the, the, the banks of the River Ban. Um, you know, you had, uh, we have a, a sort of an area called uh, Cremore, which was uh, a sort of a, I suppose it would be the closest we would have had to a stiffy home um, mm. in Port Stewart on the edge of the town. And they had big sort of, a, sort of a forested area, wooded area where there were plenty of walks through that when we were kids. Um, I remember we doing that an awful lot with my my mother and father on a Sunday afternoon after after Sunday dinner. Um, and I mean, it was just it was just a lovely place to grow up. You know, as I said, we were always out on our bikes. There was never any fear of the traffic or, you know, um, getting lost. Um, and it was a, it was somewhere that you could sort of feel you could go out and explore. We had fields around us where, where we lived in, um, on the edge of the town. And I always just remember with my brothers and sisters, we would ride down to the end of the, our street, which is, uh, there was like a, a dirt track or gravel track at the end of the street with a white fence that led into fields. And there was a river down there. And I remember as kids, we would go up to what we used, that was what we called the racetrack. And we would go up to the mm-hmm. racetrack over the fields, over the, sorry, the head, uh, the, the fence and down into the, the fields. And we would go frog pick you know collecting frog spawn and you know <laughs> in the days when you were allowed to do that um mm-hmm. you would know, go blackberry picking because there were wild blackberry bushes that grew 
uh, in the hedgerow and usually just went off on an adventure, uh, you know, some crazy game that we would come up with and uh, just to have an absolute riot. I mean, we went out in the morning and then you were sort of being called in by your mother for your dinner later on <laughs> without having been <laughs> into the house in, in between. Um, obviously, this is during the summer because, you know, during the uh, the rest of the year you were going to school. So, <laughs> but it was it was pretty idyllic, really, when I think about it. Um, I mean, my husband and I, I mean, my husband's actually, he's from Coleraine, which is not too far away from Port Stewart. And when we first married, we were living in Belfast. And when we had our two children, we kind of made a conscious decision that we were going to come back up to the North Coast because we wanted uh-huh. our two to be able to experience something of what we all had access to when we were growing up, which I didn't feel they were going to get in Belfast, where we were living in Belfast mm-hmm. anyway. Um, and just sort of having that access to the, the wide, wild open doors, you know, on your doorstep mm-hmm. was just, you know, yeah. it's just something that you, you, you can't, you can't buy it. You really can't. But, no, you uh, certainly you know, can't. It's, 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 it is just, I mean, to be honest with you, it, it was just a, a fabulous place to grow up as kids. Um, I could, I could witter on about it all day. <laughs> I really it sounds, yeah, I know it sounds like sort of the perfect adventure in an idyllic mm. setting. Was there any need? I mean, with, in such an amazing area, was there any need for you to go on day trips or holidays as a child? Uh, did you ever get away with your parents? Oh, we did. I mean, but to be honest with you, um, when we did start going off on holidays, we would have, it would have been still in Ireland. We would have gone off on holidays and we would have gone off to um, Donegal um, on a regular basis. One of our favourite places that we used to go to actually was down in Dingle, uh, down in County Kerry. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's, that was a, that was a huge family trip. We just absolutely loved going down there year after year. So much and so that my, my youngest, my, one of my younger sisters actually got married down there. Um, oh, really? A few years ago, yeah. It was, well, actually, when I say a few, actually, it's about thirteen years ago. <laughs> um, they got married down in Dingle, which was lovely because it, we all had such a connection to it growing up. Um, but for them, you know, for if we weren't going down to Dingle or going over to Donegal, we had staycations. And mm-hmm. I remember back in the day, I, I you always think, oh, the early seven, the late seventies and the early eighties, the summer, the summers were always beautiful. <laughs> They were, I remember. They were were always really hot. And I remember, Mm -hmm. it sounds a bit strange, but I remember my dad, when we were really young, my dad would uh, take us all down to the beach, obviously with my mother, drive us right to the very end of Port Stewart Strand over to the Barmouth. And he would leave us there, uh, obviously with food and provisions and games. (laughs) (laughs) And he would leave us there at about half eight in the morning as he went off to work up in Coleraine at the time. And then he'd come back and get us you know, uh, in the evenings, just before the tide washed us away. <laughs> and we would have spent the entire day there um, wow. having fun. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And I can remember thinking to myself, I would love to have been able to do that with our kids. But obviously, the summers seemed to have got wetter and wetter as the years have gone by. But we did actually mm. manage to do it once. There was one summer we had, it was absolutely an absolute scorcher. And it was whenever my eldest had just finished his first year in nursery. And mm-hmm. um, the summer was absolutely stunning. And myself and a friend of mine took our four children down to the beach. And we spent for an entire week, we were down there every single day from the you know, sort of the early morning right the way through to the late evenings. And it was absolute bliss. It really, really was. I always think this, this part of the neck, this, this part of the world really 
is it's just so beautiful. The only thing that we are missing is the beautiful the sunny weather. <laughs> and if you it had is, the beautiful sunny weather, you'd never go anywhere. <laughs> you wouldn't no, feel the need. No. But it was, no, it yeah, it's, it's a pretty idyllic case, I have to say. It is. It absolutely is. So going back to your own childhood, Emma, do you have any sort of strong memories of when you started to, you know, to make art and crafts? I mean, most most children obviously play around with artistic things, but do you have any particular strong memories about like any particular piece of art that you made that was significant for you as a child? I think the first thing I remember doing that I absolutely loved more than anything else was knitting. Um, okay. My my mum taught me how to knit when I was about four, I think. Mm-hmm. I was very young because I can remember when I went into school and it was back back in sort of like late 70s, early 80s. They were still doing crafts, a lot of art and crafts in primary schools, which they've kind of done away with. Um, not mm-hmm. They still obviously do art and this, I think, but not to the same level that we were doing crafts in school uh, mm-hmm. back then. And I can remember feeling, I can do this already. My mummy already taught me how to do all this. <laughs> and, and I just remember I was obsessed with knitting, absolutely obsessed mm-hmm. with it. Uh, to the point where my mum actually got, <laughs> sounds pretty hideous, but my mother used to nickname me Madame Defarge because I never was without <laughs> a pair of needles in my hand. <laughs> I was always knitting. Um, you know, it didn't matter. Uh, and it was just little things like, um, you know, I would knit maybe uh, scarves for my dolls or I would uh, knit little sort of stuffed toys. And then I sort of, when I was probably about 13, 14, I started knitting jumpers and, you know, got a little bit more uh, adventurous with what I was knitting and upsized and started knitting stuff for myself um, mm-hmm. and other people. But yeah, knitting would have been the first big thing. Um, I mean, I don't ever remember not being involved in arts and crafts at any point. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Knitting is just the one that I can remember being obsessed with. <laughs> and it was an obsession. <laughs> Um, but I, I mean, I, I would have had times where my grandmother, she was a, an artist in her own right, but she was also a, an art teacher. And mm-hmm. I can remember spending summer holidays up with um, my nan in Belfast and it would be a week long. Um, it was like a summer school. So mm-hmm. in the morning, my grandfather, who was a swimmer, would take us off to the swimming pool and uh, we would be trained. It wasn't to have fun you were being trained. <laughs> and then when we got back in the afternoon, I would get like art classes from my grandmother. And wow. that would be everything from sketching through to oil painting through to, I can remember her getting me to um, design, a, to, to, to draw a nasturtium flower. Uh-huh. And then to yeah. expand it up into a great big version of that and cut it out in paper and use that as a template um, to cut out in white towel and put it on like a tiling dress and then applique mm-hmm. it on. So this is my grandmother was wow. getting me to do all this kind of stuff. And she used to do lots of stuff like that. She was, I mean, she was, she was really unbelievable as far as all that stuff was concerned. So uh, she, she obviously played a really big role, you know, in your oh, formative years. Huge, absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember I have a photograph um, and a I think I popped this up on my blog on my website. I have a photograph of me when I was about, I must have been about six or seven. And mm-hmm. in Port Stewart, every summer, we would have had a, a community week. 
And it was always topped off by a fancy dress parade. <laughs> and I remember my grandmother for two years in a row, she made me these absolutely magical. I mean, they really were magical fancy dress costumes. The first year she did me up as the Snow Queen and she made me this dress and it was out of, she was very, she was, I suppose of of all women from her era, she was very thrifty. (laughs) Nothing like this. She made it, she had this very heavy duty plastic sheeting and she Mm -hmm. made me this stunning dress out of this plastic sheeting, which she had cut up into this almost like a ball gown skirt and top uh-huh. and sprayed it with silver and had put white so, snow, painted snowflakes all over it. And she'd made me a wire crown with, with icicles coming off it and a, a wand, and you name it. And she made my younger sister, who was annoyed at the time, she didn't get something she got. She was made into a snowflake fairy. She made the wings <laughs> and she made the crown for her. And the following year, she made me a little mermaid photogra- uh, a costume, which is a photograph on my blog. And she made the wig. She made the headpiece. She made the skirt, which was like a big fish tail with scales all over it. Um, wow. I mean, honestly, it was really amazing. I mean, no, we never won. <laughs> we never won anything because it <laughs> was very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it was very obvious it wasn't a child that made the costume. <laughs> but I mean, I just remember she 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 was so she was so creative like that. Uh, I mean, mm. she you know she really encouraged. All of that sort of, um, you know, being creative, taking something, looking at it and thinking, okay, what can I use this for? Or I need to make, mm-hmm. I need to make a costume from the, the fancy dress party I'm going to. What can it be? And what have I got to hand that I can use to create a fantastic costume? And, you know, that, that's, that's what she did. And she kind of passed that on to all of us. Like, it's not just myself, you know, my, my, my sisters are, a pretty dab hand and my brothers as well, pretty dab hand, the old costume making when required. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I, I mean, it, it was just, it was great fun to grow up in a house with that, with that kind of inspiration. I mean, my mum was exactly the same. Obviously it's her mother that was this, a lot of this was coming from. And my mum was exactly the same, you know, let's have a look and see what we've got. And let's put this up, pull something together. Um, with a little bit of spray paint and, <laughs> and a set like plastic, we should make something. Um, so yeah, it was like a blue Peter household. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So, uh, so, so mo- moving on, Emma, to, to when you were obviously at the stage to go to university, you'd almost think from all of that creativity and use of imagination that you were going to go into something artistic. But originally, you were planning to study medicine, and mm-hmm. then you went on to. Uh, study archaeology instead tell tell me about that decision and then where you went to study um so it was one of those things um I had done even though I loved art and craft I I suppose I was more of a a crafter I always saw myself more as a crafter rather than an artist Mm -hmm. um and I I, I suppose you were always brought up in a way there's no there's no money to be made in craft (laughs) there's no jobs there and I, I suppose I ended up sort of it, what, I was never pushed in that direction. I funneled myself down that idea of doing medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, I went away um, to uh, stay with family. I have uh, family on my dad's side who live in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went over there and spent a summer between well, family in Canada and then went down and stayed with family in Mexico. And at that point, I just kind of, everything, I don't know, it was like a, a switch flipped somewhere. And 
Mexico as well obviously has a, a very, you know, very strong cultural history there. It influences everything. It's, it's, yeah. it's, you see it everywhere in the arts. Where, where about, the, uh, where about in Mexico were you? Um, we were in Baja, California. Okay. Which is uh-huh. the, arm, the lower arm of California. And it is a beautiful mm-hmm. place. And in a lot of ways, it kind of reminded me of a, a, of a dustier version of Donegal with these great big hills <laughs> that swept down to the sea. And it was, you know, with lots of palm trees. <laughs> Donegal with palm trees and lots of sand. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, um, it was lovely. And just to be somewhere where all that sort of heritage was just literally lying around you. You could see it everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. and I always had an interest in it and had loved history and, and, and archaeology. And we'd been, you know, obviously with my grandmother, we were brought up with art. So we were always also brought to the, the museum, uh, in Belfast, mm-hmm. the Ulster Museum, and which is, has a, 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 had a really great and still does have a fantastic art collection there. But also you've all the natural history stuff, all the archaeology, all the dinosaurs and the big skeletons. And I just loved all of that. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, that, uh, and I, and I just switched from medicine. I decided I was better off exploring people who are already dead than trying to stop people from dying. <laughs> I thought maybe it might be safer for people. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but maybe it was. Um, so yeah, I, I, I switched. Um, and I, I honestly have never regretted it. Um, I really have genuine, I mean, there's been so every now and again, you get a family emergency and you're like, oh, if only I'd done medicine, I could have done something to help, but <laughs> possibly not. <laughs> but at the other mm. time, the other side of the, the coin I, I, is in genuinely, I never really regretted changing and doing archaeology because I always sort of feel archaeology, there's a lot of, I suppose, as I said, you know, my grandmother always said, you look at something and think, okay, right, how would I make that? And, mm-hmm. you know, whenever you're digging in a site and you come across a piece of pottery and you look at it and you think, okay, well, where would that fit into a piece? And you're sort of building it in your head, same kind of process. How would I make this? You build the item in your head and sort of mm-hmm. work out in, in a logical progress, you know, the steps you have to take to make that piece. Whereas the same with the archaeology, I would look at a piece and think, okay, where does that, where does that, that shard fit in a pot? Is it a pot or is it a bowl? Let's have a look mm-hmm. and sort of look at the profile and kind of work out in your head how that all, well, at least that's what I did anyway, <laughs> how okay. that all fitted together. It's, it's so very interesting. <laughs> Just going back, Emma, to what you said about the visit to the family uh, in Baca, California, that that was really a, a massive trigger, it was a massive turning point for the direction you took in your life, which is actually mm-hmm. interesting. The environment that did that did that for you, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think it's sort of, I think whenever I suppose over here, in a way, to a certain degree, in the seventies and eighties, the the you know the culture, you know, the influence of culture on 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 places was stifled a bit because of obviously what was going on. Course, you know, yeah. There was huge turmoil, yeah. there was, you know, problems yeah. out left, right and centre. And, and and I think you were never, culture was a very, um, I suppose, contentious issue. You know, art and culture mm-hmm. were very closely linked and, and, and it, there, there was always a bit of contention with them. And they could be quite confrontational in places. Whereas, you know, some of our Mexico, and it, it's it's just part and parcel of the environment that you're in. You, you know, it's everything from mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 layout of the the streets and the towns to the food you're eating, 
to the music you're listening to. Absolutely. It's just yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And it was lovely to be mm-hmm. in, in somewhere that felt like that. And I know, okay, you say, well, why didn't you go into art? You, you went into archaeology. But it was also the, the link with history. Um, you know, the sense of mm-hmm. this has been something that's been here for, you know, centuries. You know, this is a, this is a culture that's taken mm-hmm. influences from, you know, Europe and, na- you know, the, 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 the native cultures that were there already and, and sort of fused them together into this beautiful, colorful explosion. Um, yeah. and it was, it yeah. was, I suppose that was the thing that really kind of hooked me. And, and I think the, being an archaeologist allowed me to explore our history and our culture, you know, in, in Ireland and how we, how it relates mm-hmm. and connects to the rest of Europe because there's an incredibly strong connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it, and sort of seeing, as you're looking at the way the different cultures in Ireland that came into Ireland and left Ireland and, you know, the little bits of themselves that they left behind and how they've been sort of absorbed into our art and mm-hmm. our literature and our buildings and, 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 you know, even just the way that we behave <laughs> on a social basis is mm-hmm. really quite yep. fascinating. Um, so. I I never, I have never regretted once ever going down the line of archaeology, if that makes any sense. No, it makes loads of sense to to, to the woman who studied history. Of course it does. (laughs) Um, So you, you've almost answered what was my next question in a way, because I was going to ask you how your studies impacted you. And you pretty much answered that you studied in Queens, didn't you? You were in Queens. But during, during that time, Emma, one of the things that you haven't mentioned because you were giving an, a brilliant explanation as to why archaeology was the right path for you. But you did encounter metalworking during your time in university. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, please, oh, Emma? Yeah, you see, I think it was, it was, it was because it was making. It was something it was making. It was like, and it was still something that, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, you would look at, um, I remember uh, we did a, a lecture, um, so pra- practical archaeology, they called it, and it was, specifically looking at the the manufacturing of metal objects and so we were looking at socketed axes bronze age socketed axe heads and i just remember being fascinated mm-hmm. about you know finding out about the, the casting processes and you know how they how they did it with the, the limited technology that they had at the time and that led on to you know obviously sword making although i, I never obviously went down the line of sword making but you know that brings in all of that sort of side <laughs> of things uh, and then, you know, the mm-hmm. sort of aspect of chain, chain mail, which then to me sort of linked in and sort of tangential thinking linked in with knitting. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it was, to me, it was the same kind of process. You're making a sheet of material by weaving things together, mm-hmm. whether it's metal or wool. It's still in my head, it was still the same, ultimately the same process. Um, so I just found it really fascinating and. You know, as you as you sort of looked at looked at it closer, the closer I looked at it, the, the more fascinating I found it because it's just it's a beautiful material, um, and it is a material chainmail. Mm. It really is a material, and it is just beautiful the way it sort of moves. Um, the idea behind it, which was like you know, it has to be this particular type of weave, with the the one that we would all think of as knights in shining armor would be what they call European four and one. And the reason it was developed that way is because it gets around all the awkward bends and angles in the body, like your, your mm-hmm. elbows and your knees and your around your neck and things like that. And I just found it 
absolutely fascinating and it appealed to the geeky science side of me as well because obviously doing medicine I did physics chemistry and biology at a level and so you know the other thing I fascinated about with me, me with chainmail was that you know you change one aspect of the metal whether it's the the metal you're using or the size of the rings and it totally changes how the material behaves it sort of it, it, uh-huh. it behaves okay. in a completely different fashion and I I mm-hmm. just found it just a really intriguing um, subject. Uh, I mean, I, at the time, I can remember I, I didn't. We would sort of practice and, and do a few bits and pieces in in our practical archaeology. We never made chain mail, unfortunately, but that was you kind of were allowed to go off and do your own thing. And and I kind of sneakily got, uh, you know, practiced a few bits and pieces here and there. Nothing particularly spectacular looking. <laughs> Nothing that would have done anybody any good. <laughs> they tried to put it on, but. It was just actually the act of doing something you knew a couple of hundred, you know, several hundred years ago, maybe even a thousand years ago. You know, somebody was doing pretty much exactly what you're doing right now, almost exactly the same way. And it was, it was that also that sort of connection with a, a, a an ancient technique that has not changed, just hasn't, because mm-hmm. it, there's no need yeah. to change it. That also, um, that also just was something that really caught my imagination as well mm-hmm. so when you when you had that sort of massive connection obviously with chain mail at that time did you ever have the feeling that you would do anything you know with metal working in the future or was it just a phase in university that you thought was particularly fascinating I mean, at that time it was definitely a phase that I found fascinating um because it, mm-hmm. you know again it was just like it, it was like I'm going to be an archaeologist I'm I'm going to work in, in excavation and research and I'm going to be doing this I'm going to be writing papers and I'm going to be having um you know a career that'll take me all over the world <laughs> took me as far as <laughs> in, uh, the north of England <laughs> and all around Ireland mm-hmm. <laughs> okay but, uh, that was that was actually quite exotic um but um yeah, at the time, I never really thought of, I mean, really, what would you have done with it at that stage? And I was never really, con- I never really considered it as being something that would be a career changer. Um, to be honest, it was mm-hmm. just a bit of fun. It was like knitting, you know, in my head. It was yeah, exactly yeah, what yeah. it was, knitting, yeah. but with metal rings. <laughs> of course, yeah. So listen, 10 years on, uh, you had obviously 10 years of a career in archaeology. And then you ended up back in the environment you're in now, or you went somewhere in between? No, I was, um, I basically, I had started working, uh, I, in my, during my 10 years of being an archaeologist, I actually was over in America for a couple of years and I actually got into, mm-hmm. uh, working in museums and, uh, I did a, a postgraduate in museum studies, really as far away from chain mail, working with chain mail as you possibly can go. Um, when I came back, um, I was back in archaeology for a little while and I was then luckily enough, lucky enough to actually get a job with Northern Ireland Screen, uh, as uh-huh. a film archivist. And, um, and I loved it. It was just, it was fabulous. It was, you probably guess I love talking. So <laughs> I was like, <laughs> people, with, uh, I keep on saying we, and I haven't been at Northern Ireland Screen now for going on a year and a half. And I still say we had um, the Northern 
have a fantastic resource called the Digital Film Archive. And so I was asked uh-huh. at, when I first started to go out and deliver uh, presentations using the uh, Film Archive um, for interested groups. And it was for me, I just loved it because it was using, I mean, I love film anyway and always have always have done and um and obviously it had that real heritage connection as well and i just love mm-hmm. to connect with their you know, the, the mm-hmm. of their surroundings and um it was i just loved it it was brilliant and i i there for <laughs> 10 years i do everything in 10 year gaps i think now I, I, <laughs> it might be something completely different, but uh, I was I was there for 10, 11 years, and 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 I learned an awful lot um, uh, about a lot of things that I've actually applied to what I do now. And uh, it's okay. it's I think that's the thing I, I you know I think when you have I, I have what I suppose you would call a patchwork career path, uh, and that I. My head, mm-hmm. I think they're all linked together and people will sort of go, but you went from this to that. What's the connection? And to me, I think for an awful lot of a lot of it, heritage has always been the connection, um, whether it's a field mm-hmm. or standing up in front of a room, talking to people about the trams that used to run down through the center of Belfast in 1896 <laughs> to, you know, the yeah. jewelry yeah. that uses ancient techniques. To me, it's all it's all the her- heritage is the link is the connection. And creativity. And creativity. Yeah. I'm and then, you know, you also, yeah. Um, well, exactly. And, and it's, it's all linked together. And, um, you know, mm. I, I always sort of feel that, you, you know, there's, there's no experience that's a wasted experience. You can always take something from what you've done in the past and apply it to what you're doing either right now in the present or to something that you're going to do in the future. It's all, it all has value. And you just have to think about it creatively <laughs> and apply it in a way that, um, that, that works. But it's. Um... <laughs> I was going to say, Gemma. I think that there's uh, there's our link. There are links uh, through exactly what you've described through all of these various phases and stages of lives. The, the what I think stops many people from from perceiving it in that way is modern society is very um, set up to um, calculate people's achievements mm-hmm. rather than seeing it's like a continuous line of this person's um, life as their following their own path and that might you know that might have some very big turns oh absolutely i mean i think i think for an awful lot of us i mean um i I mean i'm quite sure you you know this as well it's like you know we were all sort of in our our day uh you were always brought up to think about your job (laughs) for life you left school you did you went to school you did your exams you came out the other end you got yourself a job or you went to university or you got yourself a job um and then you stayed in that job for life mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think now yep. it's been made very clear over the last 10-15 years there is no such thing anymore as a job for life and I think but uh, whereas some people would say that's terrible I actually think it's really quite wonderful because it allows people to approach the, approach things differently and that's always a good thing because mm-hmm. it inspires you to start looking at rather than what what will I do? Is it well? What can I do? And you know what? Mm. What skills do I have that I know I can use to help me do this? Or what skills have I learned from what I used to do that will allow me to apply? It's all about transferable skills now. It sounds like I, I mean, I sound like 
I sound mm. like I'm still working in Northern Ireland screen. <laughs> we always talked about transferable skills. <laughs> but I mean, it is, it's all about transferable skills and being creative with, you know, I don't, and when I mean creative, I don't mean making it up, but I mean, being creative mm. in the way that you approach everything, you know, and so I, yeah, in certain definitely. ways, I think, you know, it opens an awful lot more doors for people than it closes, which I never think. I think so. I would. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Emma, going to your environment. So you've, you've painted obviously a picture of your, your life lived through your experiences and how they're, they're all linked together basically. And now you're in this amazing environment. Mm. Um, we talked about Port Stewart itself earlier on, but can you talk a little bit more about the rest of the Causeway Coast for, again, for the audience who wouldn't have been there so far? Oh, it's just, it's just stunning. I mean, the Causeway Coast is just, if you ever come to Ireland, it is one of the places you must go to. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, there are many beautiful places um, in Northern Ireland and a lot of places I've been to. But I mean, obviously, I have a very strong connection to this this area. But I mean, there's just it's it has a real sort of sense of wildness about it, but not in the way that it's like not a terrifying mm-hmm. wildness it's a wildness that when you come, you just feel free. You know, there's a, there's a certain yeah. freedom yeah. of being, you know, walking along sort of, there's a, a the Ulster Way takes you along uh, these stunning sort of cliff top walks between Gary Lab and um, Quarry, which is uh, where they actually used to film, where they filmed the wall, part of the wall scenes in Game of Thrones. And it takes you along, along the, the, the top of the cliff path walks there through round to Ballantoy Harbour, which was also used in Game of Thrones. There's an awful lot of Game of Thrones being filmed up here. And, you know, it's just <laughs> breathtaking, just the just the beauty of the place. And I, I mean, I have to say my, you know, whenever you grow up somewhere and you're very close to it, you sometimes don't really appreciate what you have. And I mean, obviously I went away mm-hmm. and came back and, and I had a new appreciation for just, well, actually, Ireland and Northern Ireland in general whenever I came back from America but I remember my my uh, brother-in-law he is now my brother-in-law had come over with my sister and he was London born and bred and my sister said she had difficulty getting him to go south of the river in London never mind getting him to even think about moving over to Ireland and we were taking that particular walk between Gary Laban and Ballantoy Harbour and it was a nice day it was a beautiful day in fact and he was just gobsmacked he just could not get over how beautiful Mm. this place was and I said well you haven't been here whenever the rain's coming off the sea at a 180 degree angle and you're you know walking at a 90 degree angle yourself or sorry a 45 degree angle leaning into the wind so you'll not you'll not think it's so beautiful at that (laughs) stage and he goes no 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 he says this is this this place would be beautiful no matter what it's just he was just you know sold and they now live over here they moved from London over yeah really? but it, it's 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 a place i think that whenever people come up to they just fall in love with it um and i know people who have never been up mm. here before and they come up and then they come back and they keep coming back and every year upon year or they you know have a, a they buy a holiday home or something and come up every weekend that they can i mean there is a real it's, it's so hard to describe it there's a real sort of I think it's, I think it's being beside the sea. There's that sort of spiritual. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ah, 
I'm, I'm really tongue-tied with it when I come to it. It's just this, this sort of real <laughs> strong sort of spiritual connection that I think this place sort of, you know, creates with people. Um, so when you're when you're out and about, I mean, that was going to be one of my questions, Emma, because it sounds, because it's not a part of Northern Ireland that mm-hmm. I know in person, uh, but it sounds from your amazing descriptions, it actually sounds like Northern Ireland's answer to the Costa Brava. And I don't know if you're familiar with the mm-hmm. Costa Brava, but that's where Salvador Dali produced his most uh, impressive mm-hmm. work. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, um, it's definitely this space up here definitely um, has a, an effect on people. I mean, I the number of people I know up here who are creatives, not only just in, in a you know, they, they actually are working artists or musicians mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, are actually, you know, people who have, you know, they just have every day, you know, their, their normal jobs as they maybe work in the, and they're a teacher or maybe they work in the post office or, you know, they're uh, a solicitor, but they have a creative artistic outlet, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing. I, I always find that I think for this little corner of the world, it's very, very small, but I know so many artists who live in this space. And this what we call the triangle area. Mm. It's quite phenomenal, and a lot of them are just, you know, it's 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 the environments that inspires them. You know, if they're photographers or painters or, um, you know, mixed media artists. They all draw from mm-hmm. what we have here, and and you sort of put it into their work. And it, it's 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 something that my friends and I have talked about. Gosh many 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 times over the year there is definitely something special about this big corner of the world um to to sort of have such a creative hive of activity going on in it mm-hmm. um it's like a, it's like a very good mm-hmm. um it's like a very uh well-kept secret <laughs> but whenever you come <laughs> up here and you sort of you go around i mean even just the the number of people i mean going up the number of friends i had or or friends I knew of who had bands or, you know, it was quite phenomenal. And mm. the music okay. was a big thing as well. I mean, it's, 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 it has a, a real effect, I think, up here on people, most definitely. So when you talk about the, the, but earlier on, just a few moments ago, Emma, when you were a little bit trying to find a word that connected with the spiritual uh, mm-hmm. feeling that the, the environment gives, would you say when you're out and about in the area, is there a feeling that there's angels or nature spirits or some type of special energy around you that you, you know, if you go down 20 miles or 30 miles, I don't want to name places, but if you go to a different area, you just don't have that same type of special yeah, energy. I, mean, I, I do think that there is a, there is definitely an energy on this stretch of the coast that, you know, really gets to people. Um, I think, you know, there's mm-hmm. just, like I said, you know, there's that sort of, there's like a wild beauty in the Causeway Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, not a dangerous one, but wait, you know, obviously it can be if you're not careful, like any place. But there's just, there's just a sense of, you know, real freedom when you're up here. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. It's, 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 I think you have to be here. You have to come up to experience it. It's really the only other place I've ever gone to, which has the same kind of energy as Rathlin, um, which is just off the North Coast mm-hmm. now, the Causeway Coast over by Valley Castle. <laughs> and I, I always felt Rathlin is one of those places that has this really strange sort of 
energy that you can feel as soon as you get onto the island that has that sense of it's this is it's very much its own space um and, mm-hmm. and it has a real sort of influence on the visitors and the people who, who who live there and the causeway coast is the same you know you you come up here and you have a very strong it has a very strong sense of being its own place it's it's you know it's mm-hmm. there's a like a, a freedom when you come up and I don't know whether it's because you sort of feel you're on the edge of the world because you know that you can look at the end of the walk along the causeway coast and, and there's you can sometimes see Scotland over onto the right hand side but you know, if you look straight up, mm. there's nothing. You know, the next stop's Iceland. <laughs> there's a huge <laughs> expanse of water. There's nothing between you and the polar bears. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, there's. The, I think that's part of it because you're so far north. Um, I mean, that's that's the other thing. Yeah. You know, in the summer here as well. Um, and I love pointing this out to my children now this summer because they were old enough to be up that late. And we have some of the North Coast rain starting. I don't know if that, you can hear that on the recording. But um, I can, yes, hear, you can it. hear it. If it interrupts, if, it, if it's getting too loud, I'll have yeah. to move somewhere else. But um, we're so far north <laughs> that the sun never 100% sets in the summertime. And you can still see a band of bright wow. lights along the horizon at nighttime, sort of between 11 mm-hmm. and 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, 11 o'clock at night, 3 o'clock in the morning. There's still a bright yeah. band of lights along the horizon because that's how far north we are. <laughs> you can see the land wow. in the midnight sun. So it's 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 it, it, wow. that adds to the, I think, the magical nature of this space. It's that mm-hmm. sort of, you know, sense that it's it's different from everywhere else. Yeah, definitely. So, would you say then, to sort of play with words, Emma, would you say it's a question that your work and your art, and how you feel when you're out and about there, is it a question of inspiration or connection? Do you feel that you're connected with the space? Or inspired by it, or how would you describe your bond with Port Stewart and the the Causeway Coast? I think it's both. It's 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 definitely there's mm-hmm. a real. I have a real connection, um, and I think that it sort of works its way into the into my my work. Um, and it's you know obviously I draw inspiration from certain places and certain spaces and and on the north coast along along the way, and the things that you find you know the the seaweed and the in the um, and the rock pools or the way the waves crash on the beaches and the rocks, you know, the, even if you go diving, I can remember diving once and coming down in the midst of a, a shoal of, of uh, fish that were just spiraling like a vortex around you. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many of those things that I would say I draw inspiration from, but there's a lot of it that's just a connection as well. But it's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can sort of you start making something and then you look at it and go, gosh, yeah, that really just makes me think of, um, you know, the rain that we get and how it makes patterns on the sand or how the, you know, the, the, the way the, the, the tide washes up the beach or the way the you know, there's there's lots of different, you know, it's, it's hard to put a word on it. I, I don't think I could ever say it was either inspired by or it's the connection I have. I think it's both, really. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, it's like because of the the level of closeness and the many different layers, if you like, the many different layers of inspiration. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you've merged with that. Environment. Yes, I would say so. Definitely. I mean, I can. I think that. I mean, I was just thinking the other day, and they were talking about. Uh, we were talking about uh, collect. We were talking about collections. I mean, and a colleague, and um, I just suddenly realised that 
there will never not be a Causeway Coast collection. I will never not have one because I can't mm-hmm. not have a Causeway collection. <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't <laughs> feel right to not have a Causeway Coast collection because it's too much a part of who I am and where I come from. Absolutely. You know, so it, yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's it's both connection and inspiration, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you're also working in a lovely setup in your studio, Mm. Emma, a a very special place as well. And there's other artists that are involved uh, in that community Mm. there. So can you tell us a little bit about that place also, Emma? So I was lucky enough to get um, into what we call a a space that we call Maker's House. Sorry, I don't know. Is that really Uh getting really bad? Are you picking that up? It's okay. okay. Let's just get very heavy. I'll start that again. Um, So, yeah, I was lucky (laughs) enough to get um, uh, into a space called Maker's House, which is in a -hmm. a craft uh, shop in uh, Bush Mills called the Designery. The Designery itself is actually really Mm -hmm. quite special because it's a social, it's what we call a social enterprise. And um, downstairs, they have a shop, an absolutely beautiful gift shop um, that represents about 60. Um, artists and crafters from across Ireland and Northern Ireland. And then upstairs, Mm -hmm. we have our maker's house and there are nine of us there. Each of us has a little, what we call a pod, which we we rent. Mm -hmm. And we use that as our retail space. So it allows us to sell directly to the the public, which is great. Um, And it's, uh, it also can act as our workspace as well. So we get the opportunity to do, um, uh, you know, bits and our bits and pieces there as well as as sell, which is lovely, and it allows people to sort of see mm-hmm. um, the process that we go through to make the items that we're selling. And um, we're Wonderful. all local, um, and and we all are um, from a different background. So there's never there's never a, a, an art or a craft type that's duplicated with a maker's house. And uh, the fabulous thing about it is is that. Um, Whereas we're all from different backgrounds and different, um, have taken different paths to into our craft, whether we're self-taught or we went to to art college, everybody helps everybody else out, and we all mm. work together. And we we have to be there as part of our rental agreement. We have to be there twelve hours a week. Um, but if we're not mm-hmm. there and somebody comes in and wants to buy, say I'm not there and somebody wants to come and buy a pair of my earrings, one of the other craft, one of the other makers will sell it for me. And vice versa. And then, you know, we've got some, we've got, you know, we've, we've also got like an instant team of people that we can bounce ideas off. Um, if we're having issues Mm -hmm. or problems with something or cancel, you know, cancel, we've got a fresh pair of eyes, um, to sort of maybe see Mm -hmm. our way through things or we've got, uh, you know, a place to get additional inspiration. A number of times we've gone in there and I've come out thinking, I've had a chat with, you know, Fee McToll, who's our, our milliner. I've done, oh, I am. Mm-hmm. So she said, oh, why don't you try this and make this into a necklace or that weave's really lovely. That would make a beautiful pendant or something like that. And I go away, never thought of that. I think I'll give that a shot and see what happens. <laughs> you know, and we collaborate with each other as well and, and, and sort of pull maybe two, uh, two crafts that you would never put together and, and come up with something amazing. <laughs> so it, it, it's a fabulous wow. space. It's it's a it's a and it's a fantastic team of of, of creatives and it, it's it is like having uh, extra people in your business um, 
like to give you mm-hmm. a hand in certain ways, which is which is fabulous. Yeah. And it just also then, because obviously being a creative, you are usually working on your own in isolation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You may not necessarily get that face to face contact with customers. So this is, you know, having that space for that reason alone is great. But also then having this, it's really a family. I say team, but actually it's really a family of of people that you can call on and chat to and run ideas past. Um, it's it's invaluable. It really is absolutely invaluable. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Emma. Is is that somewhere, obviously not right now with the COVID uh, situation, but is that somewhere that before maybe like tu- tourist buses might have popped in, you know? We would have definitely uh, had quite a lot. I mean, yes, we were we were really sort of before, obviously, uh, COVID came along. We were really during the sort of the, the peak summer months and the tourist months, we were really pushing the designery and Maker's House as a place for um, groups to come as well as like obviously individual members of the mm-hmm. public. Um, now I have to say the, the maker, Maker's House, the designery has been open since 2015, but Maker's House space has only been open two years past there in August. Um, so we were still mm-hmm. just finding our feet really. We were kind of coming into a, a, a we were coming up on a bit of an up curve as far as you know, people knowing we were there and, and coming specifically to Maker's House to see what we had on offer. When COVID hit, and I think for the first mm. couple of weeks, like like everybody else, there was a bit of shock, and then uh, and yes, then there was a bit course. of panic. <laughs> uh, yeah, also, <laughs> and then we all sort of tried to put our heads together to see how we could come combat the the difficulties we were obviously inevitably going to to face. This is where having the team, the the family, the pod family, mm-hmm. as we call ourselves, um, as backup was invaluable. <laughs> Um, because, you know, you're there as, you're, as an instant support network. And so we all made a very concerted effort to start working on our social media to sort of help encourage people to remember that we're still here. We all have our own businesses. We're all still very much open for business online and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And to encourage them to come back when everything, everything comes back to as normal as normal was going to be, that we were still there. Yeah. yeah. And it's worked. Yeah. It worked. Good. Um, so since we opened it. at the end of June, we have been so busy. It has been phenomenal. The support has been amazing from local communities. And then obviously, um, we've got, um, you know, day trippers and people coming on holiday makers mm-hmm. coming up from, you know, we've got loads of people coming up from the south. We've, uh, we've had quite a few people over mm-hmm. from England and Scotland. Um, people who had heard of us, but had never been there have, you know, turned up and it's, it's just fantastic. It's been amazing. Brilliant. That's brilliant. And um, going back to one of the places that we mentioned much mm. earlier on was Belfast yeah. that you said you lived you lived there for a mm. while uh, with your husband, you know, and then you realized you wanted to go back to Port Stewart, you know, for the sake of yourselves and your children. But Belfast, even though it's such a different environment, obviously, it still is somewhere that you mentioned uh, you've got like strong roots and ancestral roots mm-hmm. with Belfast. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, yeah, please, well, Emma? Both my parents are from Belfast. Um, and uh-huh. um, my great-grandfather on my mother's side, um, I suppose this is probably where a lot of my inspiration comes from, he worked as, a, I, I always remember being immensely proud of this, um, as a child, he was a pattern maker 
um, uh, worked okay. for, uh, he, he actually was one of the pattern makers that helped design, uh, he worked for the company that designed the boilers for the Titanic. I'm like about, I know, okay. about probably about 50% of the people here from Belfast, they've all got some connection to the Titanic. <laughs> um, so I remember being immensely proud of all of that whenever I was little. And I mean, I suppose as a child growing up, you know, you would have been, we would have been up and down to Belfast so much because obviously both sets of grandparents lived in Belfast. And, you know, I, I really, I mean, Belfast is just a very interesting, very colorful place. I never appreciated it that much whenever mm -hmm. I was younger. And, and obviously I went to Queens in Belfast and I can remember always feeling, I can't wait to go. I can't wait to get out of here. Um, because it always felt very small. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, on the grand scheme of things. And then I went away and came back and really appreciated it for what it was. <laughs> and, you know, how much Belfast had sort of grown and changed and, you know, what a vibrant place it really, it really is. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, yeah. it's obviously my, my, my grandfather and my mother's father would always have been, you know, would tell us stories about you know whenever he was growing up in Belfast when he was younger and um you know just these fantastic colorful stories of the different characters that he knew around the city and it just always seemed it was always just a very interesting place to me and I think mm -hmm. also then obviously that was reinforced whenever I started working with Northern Ireland Screen's digital film archive because of a lot of the collection film collection that we had at that time would have been based in Belfast, especially a lot of the very early footage that we had. See, I still use the Wii. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I haven't been there for 18 months. I still <laughs> exactly. say the Wii. <laughs> you still, you still feel part still of the team there, the there as well as where you are at the and moment. I, I remember uh, there was um, a, a, a gentleman called Richard Hayward. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a, a writer, an actor, and a producer. And, and he made yeah. some of Northern Ireland's very yeah. first feature films, would you believe, back in the 30s. And he was also mm -hmm. a prolific travel writer. And he made a very yeah. early travelogue film of Ireland in about 19, of Northern Ireland in about 1935. And it took in the North Coast, around Belfast, or around Port Stewart and, and Portrush. Um, and down round through the glens and then into Belfast. And I remember there being a line in it where he referred to Belfast as the city of ships and hammering men. And <laughs> I just loved that description because I was just like, that is just, that is it. Yeah, it really is the, the, the city of ships and hammering men. And I mean, that, that definitely, you know, that definitely, um, was reflected, I think, possibly in my Belfast collection. That is a lot of hammered textures, ah. and a lot of very geometric shapes. Um, but mm -hmm. you know that just—I I mean, I just—I mean that that just is to me that was a really colourful description of of Belfast in a very very short sentence of a few words. Yeah, um, but then added in the, the, the background of the colours, colourful stuff that I knew through my grandfather and then my dad's family as well. I just. You know, it just it just made it more complete in that respect. Hmm. So tell tell us a little bit more about so your Belfast, the Belfast collection. Collection is is very much inspired by the the industries um, in that were sort of I suppose the centre of Belfast and what Belfast would have been renowned for. And 
at the moment the the the, the, the collection really reflects sort of like the, um, to me anyway in my mind it reflects the shipbuilding with the hammered textures and the the rope works um Sirocco rope works mm-hmm. which were a big part of Belfast um the industrial scene in Belfast for a very very long time and um it's just it's it's about texture and shape and you know i i mm-hmm. i think one of one of the pieces i made or it was one of the first pieces i made for the belfast collection was just what i call the belfast pendant and it's just literally a it is just a, a hammered i shouldn't say it is just it is <laughs> a, a hammered heavy hammer hammered um <laughs> bar of of silver uh pendant and uh i just it was just the way the the silver would react to the hammer and it, it just in in every time i make it to, in my head it just sort of brings to life the image of these men working away in the and in, in, on the ship on the ships in the shipyards you know hammering in rivets you know tapping in sh- huge sheets of of uh, steel into the sides of ships that were so enormous that mm-hmm. you know it was amazing that they ever actually even floated um and i, I always just feel when i when i'm making it there's it's, it's it's a kind of a it's more of an emotional connection um i think with the belfast collection really mm-hmm. um and it's it's it sort of for me kind of harkens back to sort of that golden age of belfast's industrial heyday of the sort of late late 1800s and the early 1900s mm-hmm. and so i suppose the belfast collection not only does it have all those geometrical shapes and the textures but there's that sort of a certain opulence and um finery to some of the the pieces you know, mm. there's um a lot of a, a lot of the stuff i kind of sort of almost could imagine or i try to imagine them being worn by the ladies of the day you know when they went for their their dinner parties and their you know going on their cruises and things like that <laughs> with their long evening gloves and their feathers in their hair <laughs> so i suppose i feel like almost like an edwardian <laughs> sort of luxury um a lot of the pieces that are in the the uh, mm-hmm. in, in the Belfast collection. Luckily, this is not a party political broadcast. It is a short announcement to mention our sponsor. This episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast is sponsored by Property Insurance Center. Property Insurance Center's sponsorship helps to support the local economy by promoting not only local writers, artists, and craftspeople, but also entities involved in travel, tourism, and hospitality. This first series of the Creative Places and Faces podcast has an exciting lineup of guests, including Jan Carson, Henry McDonald, Anne Smith, Malachi O'Doherty, Andrea Spencer, Helen Sharkey, Emma Thorpe, and many others. Today's sponsor, Property Insurance Center, specializes in commercial and residential property insurance and all types of business insurance. Originally established in 1976, This family insurance brokerage has served thousands of businesses and families just like you over the decades. To discover more or become a sponsor, click on the sponsorship link below this podcast. And now back to you, Jackie. I mean, your jewelry is absolutely stunning. Um, The other (laughs) one of the other collections, Emma, that you have is the Petroglyphs collection. Does that bring you back to kind of your university days? You know, what inspires this collection? That's a page out of my archaeology career. Um, I remember the petroglyphs were one of the very first things I, I, we, we covered whenever I, I studied archaeology at Queen's. And 
I always just loved mm-hmm. the sheer simplicity of these shapes and the amount of confusion that they caused. <laughs> you know, what were they? Why did people do it? And, you know, and, and I always loved the fact they were so open to interpretation. Like, you know, you, you could look at, um, I think one of the, the, my favorite pieces in, in that collection are my uh, zigzag ear climbers. And they're based on, if you went down to Newgrange, you'll see on Newgrange, obviously, absolutely famous for not only the, the for the huge burial mm-hmm. mounds of, of Newgrange and Nouth and Douth, but also the, the, the number, the sheer number of engraved stones that they have down there. And one of them would be zigzag. There are lots mm-hmm. of zigzag lines. And, you know, some people look at it and think it's the path of a journey. Some people look at it, see mountains. Some people look at them and see that it maybe represents crossing water. I mean, sometimes a zigzag can just be a zigzag as well. That's the other thing you've got to remember. But I, I just love them because you, you can look at them and they can be whatever you want them to be. You know, they can tell whatever story you want them to tell. Nobody mm-hmm. but the person who made them in the first place actually knows what they mean. Um, and I, and I think that's their mm. unending fascination. Uh, it's certainly an unending fascination for me. But, uh, and, and it's the fact that you find them all over the world. They're, they're not just found here in Ireland. You know, you find them in South America, North America, you know, Australia, you know, as anywhere humans have been, mm-hmm. you will find petroglyphs in, in different styles and forms. But I just find them absolutely fascinating. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. No, they are. Obviously they are. Now, I'm going to touch on uh, your, is it your most important collection or, or not? It's the one that's probably closest yeah. to your heart, the Causeway Coast collection, Emma. Talk, talk us through that, that collection and if possible, choose yeah, one really favorite, but I'm sure that's probably going to be very challenging. Uh, no, it would definitely be the Causeway collection. I mean, like I said, there will never not be, as far as I'm concerned with Atlantic Rose, there will never not be uh, a Causeway Coast collection. Um, I mean, it's it's really it's sort of taken inspiration from, I guess, a number of elements around the coast. You know, it's not only just the um, it, it being the Causeway Coast and there's this fantastic scenery and you've got these beautiful beaches with these amazing waves that crash on the beach. You know, it's the fact that, you know, we've got things like the, the history up here is amazing as well. You know, you've got the Girona that's just off the north coast. Um, uh, you know, of Northern Ireland, um, just, you know, you've got Dunluce Castle. You know, it's a huge, you know, it's a really important, you know, medieval story to be told here in, in, in this part of the world. And I just sort of feel that the, mm-hmm. that, that collection, you know, you've got, it, it suits itself very well to the chain mail and also Viking knitting, which is another technique that I do. Um, as it's, it's sort of, those are the kind of, styles that mm-hmm. would have been you know that I feel would have been around in those days um and you know every now and again I'll throw in um I say throw in not throw in that's the wrong word to use I will use <laughs> um you know there's a lot of sea glass and uh, <laughs> lava bead um because obviously you've got the giant's causeway and the huge basalt mm-hmm. floods that's obviously form the giant's causeway and then there's like you know gemstones that they use that would sort of pull you into sort of the importance of sites like Dunluce Castle, the importance of the significance of the Girona. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, 
I mean, I, I just feel it's it's an exciting place that has so many things that I can draw on uh, to, to sort of infuse it into my mm-hmm. collections or into that particular collection. Um, I mean, for favourite pieces, oh gosh, out of that collection, there's so many in that one. I think really one of the, I think possibly one of the, my favourite ones at the minute, I'll do the one that I'm in at the minute, which would be possibly one of the ones I've done, um, the latest piece, pieces I've done. So uh, would be mm-hmm. the sea oak necklace and bracelets and earrings. Actually, there's all, there's all three of them there, um, which is sort of graduated silver beads on, on sort of uh, what we call a shaggy loop weave. And it's to me, it just reminds me of mm-hmm. the seaweed that you would find the sea oak and the, the bladder rack that you would find in this in the in the rock pools and all over the rocks across the north coast. I mean obviously it grows prolifically everywhere. But I always just loved mm. the way it moved when it was in the water. If it wasn't you know, if there was the swell would sort of rise and fall and it would just float there like big sort of hands in the water. Um and it would just there was just something mm. So it was something really enticing. You were never quite sure what you were going to find if you put your hands in there. <laughs> you, might find, you might find a crab who wasn't too happy to see a hand coming in. Or, you know, you would talk about, there would be the, um, the legend of the conger eels in Portnahapple who would be just waiting to nibble somebody's toe off if they came too close to the seaweed and the rocks. Um, it was always, I just always felt that the seaweed was something there was something quite beguiling about it, but almost potentially something maybe a hidden menace there <laughs> if you if you took, if you came at it in the wrong time. But it was, you know, it just sort of. I always just just loved. I would always find it quite hypnotic the way it would just sway and and sort of rise mm-hmm. up and down on the tides. It was so. I, I always just kind of wanted. To, I, you know, I, I chose sea oak because I didn't think anybody would particularly wish to have bladder rack around their neck. <laughs> it doesn't sound as attractive. <laughs> so sea oak um, is just sort of has that sort of, I think just has this rather kind of magical feel to it as a, as a name. Um, and uh, I just thought it suited the piece very mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And it does have the, 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 the jewelry itself, the way it flows. You know, it's, it's a very fluid piece. Um, and the rings will sort of move in certain ways mm-hmm. whenever you're wearing them, especially you know with the bracelet and the and the necklace, they'll sort of flow with you, as it were. Which is just the way I feel that the the seaweed used to, you know. Sounds <laughs> sounds like a perfect Christmas gift to me. Now, I know we're only in August, Christmas, Christmas, never Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> but it's <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyhow, moving on to if if you had a friend, you know, who hadn't ever mm-hmm. been to to your part of the world, coming over just for a quick stay, you know, coming from somewhere abroad, where would your apart from putting them up at your own home, if you were to have them stay somewhere locally, where would your favourite place, well, Emma, be for, I, for a good friend you know, to stay? I would always encourage um, anyone coming up here to to get themselves an Airbnb. I don't know if I would actually, it's not that I, well, we don't have very many mm-hmm. hotels up on this north part of the, the, the coast, which is unfortunate. Um, we do have a few very good hotels, but there's not very many. But I always think if you want to get the real sense of the place, you know, stay in a house rather than a hotel. 
you know, go somewhere mm-hmm. where you have to go out to the shops to buy your food or you have to go and eat out. So it, it, you sort of get more of a feel of the, of the, of the place where you're staying. So, and I, and I know friends who have, uh, in the past mm-hmm. who have come over and stayed and have done exactly that. They've just stayed in a bit. They've stayed in Airbnb and loved it. Really, really loved it. And there's some beautiful, um, homes up, up here that are, um, are on the Airbnb, um, website. And, you know, so many of them have the most fantastic view, um, from their houses of, of the, of Port Stewart Bay or out towards Port Rush. Um, that you, you wouldn't be able to get in, in, in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I would always say, yeah, of stay course. in an Airbnb when you come up here because it, you just, it just, you just get a better sense, I think, of, of what the place is like. Definitely. And where would you bring, you know, a friend visiting? Obviously, from how you've described the the nature, mm. you, you're going to spend a lot of time out walking. But would there be any other sites, any particular oh, sites, God, Emma, that so you would many. like to bring somebody? Um, obviously, the Giants Causeway. You have to bring somebody to the Giants Causeway when they mm-hmm. come here. Uh, they can't not go there. Um, and Ballantoy Harbour, because mm-hmm. there's, there's Ballantoy Harbour, which is lovely, and there's lots of people go down to it, because obviously it's got a very strong Game of Thrones um, connection there. But if you walk along from Ballantoy Harbour, away from the mm-hmm. harbour, and around the coast towards White Park Bay, there's a little path that you can take along the seaside, along the, 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 the waterside, as long as the tide's out, obviously, that will take you right into White Park Bay, which is a beautiful beach. Um, and you'll walk past things like what they call the, the elephant okay. and the camels, which are these rock formations out in the, the sea, which do actually look at a certain angle, do look like an elephant and do look like a camel. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just beautiful because again, it's a, it's a lovely wild walk along, right along the sea edge, um, to a beautiful beach. I mean, White Park Bay, um, is probably one of the lesser known beaches on the North Coast for tourists anyway. Uh, but it's a fabulous place to go fossil hunting. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you can find ammonites and, and all sorts okay. um, in the rocks there. So if anybody has an interest in that kind of thing, White Park Bay is a great place to go for a, a dander, as they say. Um, oh, and, and great. I mean, my, presumably my with children, it must be great as well. Love it. I mean, it's a bit of a climb down if you're if you're coming from the, the, the White Park Bay. It does have a car park, but it's quite a climb down. There's quite a lot of steps to get down. So. You need to be you need to be prepared to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But having said that, it's it's a great place. I mean, the kids just love going for walks. I don't know if it's a beach you would swim at, but it would definitely be a beach you would take for. It's good for walks, um, and there's always something exciting to find. Um, the other mm-hmm. place I would like to I would take them would be um, downhill. Um, so downhill's out past Castle Rock. Okay. Again, it's on the it's on the right on the coast, but it's a forest. And it's sort of nestled between the beach and Benevena, which is uh, sort of a, a, I don't want to call Mm -hmm. it a mountain because it's not really a mountain, but it's certainly a very, very big hill. (laughs) Um, The the most spectacular views over the the foil. (laughs) But downhill forest, there's just something really lovely about it. Um, I mean, it's a proper forest, not 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 a pine forest. It's a proper forest. And uh, it has a, a river that mm-hmm. runs through it. And there's just a lot of, again, a lot of exciting little things for people to, you know, kids to find. And it's a, it's a nice place to go. Um, where else? There's so many places, so many places I would take people. Too many, obviously the Strand. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. beach and the sand dunes. <laughs> there's so many. I could talk about it all day. <laughs> yeah. 
I know, I know. What what about somewhere to eat out? Uh, for example, as a family, obviously you've got young children yourself. Uh, yeah, somewhere I mean, good for um, families to have some food. Uh, and I'm going to be very partisan here, and I'm going to talk about the restaurants in Port Stewart <laughs> rather than Port Rush. Um So, I mean, there are, there are, okay. there are a couple of really great <laughs> restaurants, and, and there are a lot of really good restaurants in Port, Port Stewart. I think the ones that are, would be my favorite would be um, Amici's, which is down on um, the sort of the main Portmore Road. Uh, which is between runs along the coast between Port Stewart and Port Rush, and uh, it's on what we what we used to refer to as the old mm-hmm. golf course, and it has really stunning um, mm-hmm. uh, sea views. And it was it's run actually by uh, the Morellis, who are very famous in this neck of the woods for their ice cream Morellis um, ice cream parlor, which has been on the promenade since ah, uh, gosh, okay. the early nineteen hundreds. Yeah. And uh, it's, 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 it's primarily, obviously, as the name says, it's Amici. It's an Italian, uh, it- Italian inspired re- uh, menu. And the food is excellent. It is absolutely excellent. And it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. really lovely for families. I mean, they cater very well for children. Uh, and it is, it's just a really lovely, relaxed place to go, um, for either a, a treat for the kids or, you know, just a very casual meal. I think the only other place I would, uh, the other place I would think about in Port Stewart mm-hmm. would be Harry's Shack which is down right on the strand in Port Stewart. And it is just amazing. It's just so beautiful wow. just to be able to huge, big windows. And you just got, if you've ever been able to have the chance to look up Port Stewart strand, <laughs> and you'll see what I mean when I say the views are just breathtaking. And, you know, Harry's is, has this fantastic view that just yeah. commands yeah. The, the, the beach. And uh, it, yes, it's, it's, the, food's, the food's not bad either. okay (laughs) and what about for you know not necessarily for a family outing but bars for you know young couples or any you know other ages people who are not bringing their children obviously oh well that will have to be i have to get that one to port rush um we would have to there's a bit of a rivalry between port stewart and port rush okay Uh, (laughs) to get on for generations uh no port rush (laughs) harbour bar the harbour bar in port rush (laughs) is a fantastic replace um, they have downstairs, they have, I suppose, what you could call a, a, a very typical Irish bar downstairs, and uh, with a wee snug with an open fire uh, where you can sit and enjoy your pint of Guinness and a front bar. Um, and you can sort of go out the front wow. and you're right in the harbour in Port Rush, which is lovely. And then upstairs, they do live music and, you know, food, bar food and stuff. And it's, it's, it's a really, it's been going for years, absolute years. Uh, but it's, it's really is sort of on the, on the places to go list for anybody coming up to the North Coast and they do a pretty good, good mm-hmm. a pint of Guinness. I mean, okay. in Port Stewart and good live music. Yeah. I mean, the and other bar we would have in Port Stewart would be the anchor, which is mm-hmm. very much, uh, uh, you know, uh, how would you say an old stalwart? <laughs> it's been again there for years and, 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 <laughs> the, you know, they also do really good you know, live music and stuff, but there's something special, I think, about the Harbour Bar and Port, Port Rush. Okay. Okay. Well, that's loads of brilliant tips for obviously the, the days, the days that we're all waiting on Emma at the moment where we can, you know, travel a little bit further and more frequently and safely. One, um, at the end of everything, Emma, are there any plans for new collections or any news, oh, you know, yes, their audience should be keeping an eye out for. I'm working on a few ideas. Um, I'm looking at into expanding in my Belfast collection a little bit more. 
So as I've said, I'm sort of trying to reflect some of the industries that Belfast was famous for. So we have shipbuilding and I've got rope works there at the minute, but I'm also now looking into the linen industry and seeing how I can incorporate linen and linen textures into my work. Um, so I'm quite, uh, and that's a bit of a collaboration I'm working on with one of the other, uh, uh, my, one of my fellow makers in Maker's House, uh, as she works with Irish linen. So there should hopefully be some exciting developments coming mm-hmm. from that uh, in the near future. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, just it's uh, just sort of, I would just say to people, just keep a wee eye on what I'm doing. It's onwards and upwards. And, you know, uh, Atlantic Rose, I am planning on being born for a yes, very long absolutely. time. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, what we'll be doing when when the mm. podcast is going live onto the website, uh, we'll be oh, putting your link for your website there, um, and plenty of social media because I think you know yes, anybody who sees your jewelry is going to love it, Emma. <laughs> no, it's yeah, no, it's 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 great so, to uh, have the opportunity to just to sort of really talk about it as much as I have because I know I have talked a lot now. <laughs> No, but it's been brilliant. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, lots of insights into, you know, your own path, uh, how you've come to, you know, it's not like you, let me just put it in, in kind of in a quick nutshell. It's not like, oh, I just did an evening course in silversmithing or whatever. You've got, you had a really fascinating oh, journey very much. to I mean, arrive it's, it's to been, where you are. You know, one of those things, like, you know, sometimes you think, oh, God, how have I managed to end up doing this? <laughs> but I suppose in a funny kind of way, it's all it's all been leading to this point at some point, you know, like from there's, you know, it's 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 all everything happened the way it happened for the very reason why I'm here. So, uh, yeah, I kind of I'm kind of very kind of uh, surprised and always grateful that I am able to do what I do and that people like what I do. Because mm-hmm. I think also whenever you're not somebody who's been because I'm self-taught and I think whenever you're somebody who's self-taught, you always mm-hmm. feel that you might be missing something that someone who has had official, you know, formal training yeah. and has had, you know, some secret that they have got <laughs> that you never got access to. And I think, you know, that's something mm-hmm. that people have to remind themselves is that, you know, that's only the, the, the formal route is only one path. Um, you know, there are a million different Absolutely. ways. To, to be in, in the creative industries, any of the creative industries, whether it's from the art and craft side right the way through to film, there are many different paths into any of these creative industries. You just, mm-hmm. you just have to want to do it really. And, 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 you know, just put yourself out there, which is always the scariest thing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so scary. It is. It is. <laughs> but I'm sure you, I'm sure you don't, you don't regret it. I'm sure for a moment you must be. You know, you must feel extremely oh, fulfilled yeah. I mean, like, I think uh, with what you're doing, Emma, I'm sure. COVID struck. I think there was that moment people saying, oh, I bet you you wish now you weren't self-employed and I bet you wish now you, you, you know, you had the, you know, the ability to have a boss to phone you up and tell you you're being furloughed. So, you know, you, you, you know, you were still having some, and I'm like going, actually, mm. no, <laughs> I'm actually relieved because it's still also uncertain <laughs> for everybody. Um, so I, I've even in the tough times, I've never, yeah. I've yeah. never regretted taking this path. I have to say, and it has been tough. It's not been easy. I think anybody tells you it's easy is a liar. <laughs> it's not easy, yeah. <laughs> but it's certainly, certainly not a regret ever. Yeah, I've never regret. Definitely. It. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure, Emma, having you here today. You're very and, welcome. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for so much. Me.
Thank you. Take care of yourself. Very welcome. Thank you very much. much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast. If you would like to apply to be a guest or a sponsor, be sure to check out the links below the podcast. Until next time, from all of us here, take care, stay safe, and be creative.